Today, I suppose, thinking about a title, I, I titled the sermon, um, A Matter of the Heart. But before we look at the heart a bit more closely, um, we're going to look at another part of the body first, which um, is my elbow. So some of you will know this, some of you will not know this, and you won't see Nick because you haven't seen me. Um, I fractured my elbow um, during the summer, uh, being a bit of an idiot, really. Was it not the summer? When was it? That's where we have wives. Um, maybe it was like September, October, I don't know. Anyway, a while ago, Christmas, February, there you go. See, it all just majors, doesn't it? Well, the, the days have no meaning anymore, do they? Um, anyway, at some point this year, I, um, I fractured my elbow. So our school has this residential centre up in the North Yorkshire Moors, quite isolated. I'm responsible for it. I thought, nobody's been there for months. What if a tree's fallen on it or, or whatever? So, so I got the school minibus, I drove up. And I checked it all out, it was all all right, but the, the one thing I'd been told to do was check the oil level in the tank. So I was like, right, I'll check the oil level in the tank. The tank's outside, but the only way to access it is to climb on a wall to get to it. And um, uh, it, it, was a, it, it was February, so it was an icy day. And um, so I climbed on this icy wall to try and like, measure the level of oil in an oil tank. And then we had that like cartoon Looney Tunes moment where I'm like, cascade backwards, arms and legs spinning furiously, trying to grab something that, when there is nothing to grab because I'm in midair, and, and I landed. And anyway, I fractured a bone in my uh, elbow, um, and subsequently it was put in a pot, and then it was in a sling, and now I just have this sort of vague, that's as good as it is, that's, I have this vague sort of Peter Crouch robotic thing um, going on now. But, you see, my arm currently lacks flexibility and it currently lacks strength. And that's a result of, yes, the accident, but actually it's because it was kept immobile for so long. It was in a pot for a few days, then in a sling. And the fact that it was kept immobile now means I've lost some of that strength and I've lost some of that flexibility. And as a consequence, things like getting ready for work, top button, top button, suddenly something that was so easy now, I can't really get there, doing a tie-up. Yeah, I'm sorry, but if there was anything in this left nostril, there's not a chance of me getting anywhere near it anymore. You know, it's just, I've just lost the ability to, to do some of these things. So I'm having physiotherapy, so I carry out exercises now twice a day. Um, sometimes it's once, yeah, uh, twice a day. That are designed to increase the strength and to increase the flexibility of this elbow. Okay, now let's go back to the heart. Because in the physical sense first, your heart also needs exercise. And exercise will strengthen your heart. And when I say flexibility, it increases the capacity. Exercise increases the capacity of your heart to be able to respond and do things. Yeah, and that's what I mean by flexibility in that sense. All right, now, that's in the physical sense. You know, we need to exercise our heart because it, it keeps us alive and that's always a good thing. Yeah? All right? Now, I'm not going to go all Joe Wicks on you. Don't worry. The nation's slightly annoying favourite PE teacher. I am not. I will not be dressed as Spider-Man doing bare peas. You're all right. Um, so that's a sight nobody wants. Um, but let's part the physical heart for a second and think about our spiritual heart. Because your spiritual heart needs to be exercised too. Your spiritual heart needs to be strong. 
and your spiritual heart needs to be flexible. It needs to have the capacity to grow, to respond to anything it comes across. All right? Your heart is it's one of your body's organs, yeah? Well, if your spiritual heart is an organ, what tune is it playing? If we had drums, that would be... there. But in all serious sense, if your heart is an organ, what tune is it playing? How healthy is your heart? 1 Samuel tells us the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is important. We're going to look at the heart. We'll spend a few minutes uh, shortly looking at Nehemiah's heart. So, the heart, it's found throughout Scripture. 830 times the heart is mentioned throughout Scripture. And it's important in secular society too. We talk about the heart, don't we? Yet we place a lot of importance on the heart. The heart, um, the heart keeps us alive. It keeps the blood pumping around our body. And in a spiritual sense too, your heart is important for your functionality. It's important to keep you spiritually alive. Emotionally, hearts are important in society. All society, Christian or not, understand the idea of emotions. Well, actually, too, we're meant to spiritually be emotive through our hearts. We're meant to be generous and invest in others. You know, we're encouraged, aren't we? we in, people will say, we, I give you my heart, you know, to someone they love. But actually, as a Christian, we need, too, to be able to give someone our heart. And then also, we, I think we, we represent, we talk about the heart as almost representing bravery and generosity. People can be big-hearted, kind-hearted, small-hearted. We can have the heart of a lion, yeah? And spiritually, too, we are meant to be brave and we're meant to be generous, yeah? So in Hebrew, heart is leb. And when you, as you do all the time with the Hebrew and the Greek, it has a myriad of meanings, whereas we say heart. So when you say leb, it can reference man, but actually God too. God has a heart. We know, don't we, that David was a man after God's own heart. God has a heart. Well, that tells us that the heart is so much more than just a, a physical thing that pumps blood around your body. It has greater meaning than that. God searches your heart. The Bible tells us God purifies your heart. The Bible tells us God gives you a new heart. The heart is highly prized by God, not just because of its physical ability, but it means so much more. In the uh, Leb can refer to the depths of something when it uses the term heart. And it can be the depths of the sea, the depths of a mountain. But actually, it also refers many times throughout the Bible to the depth of a person. Heart refers to the inner person. Essentially, to soul. The Hebrew for soul is um, it's either neeps or nepes. Never been trained in it. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's one of the two. Okay? Nepes, neeps, means soul. Fifteen times in the Old Testament, nepes is translated as heart. The heart refers to your inner person, your soul. There's something deep going on there. And Leb, it's used to refer to your personality. Search my heart. You're asking God to know you. Who you are. Refers to your personality. It refers to your inclination. I will praise with all my heart because I am inclined. I choose to do so. My will is inclined to you. 
Hatleb translates to be the seat of emotion. I have a cheerful heart. Yeah, it's this Leb refers to the heart as the seat of knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 14.33 says, Wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning. Do you know in the Old Testament, there's no, no use of the word brain. There is no Hebrew for brain. Because when it talks about thoughts and wisdom and thinking and understanding, it says heart. Leb means the seat of morality, clean hands and a pure heart. And it's also the seat of rebellion and pride. So the heart sits at the very centre of not just us physically, but emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. And if you break it down, essentially there's three fundamental functions. The heart dictates our emotions and our feelings. The heart dictates our thoughts. And the heart dictates our will, our intentions. And all of those are constantly referred to throughout Scripture. So if I come back to what I said before, if your heart is an organ, what tune is it playing? What are you feeling? What are your thoughts? What choices are you making? Because you'll dance to the tune that your heart plays. And you will dance and it'll dictate what you do and where you go, but it'll also dictate what others see and how they respond to you. And I, will, I don't want you to, guys to have this organ. Do you remember when you were like at primary and you wanted to learn how to play um, the keyboard? So you went through the Argos catalogue, because that's what you did at Christmas, didn't you? I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that. Mom, there you go. And you went through the Argos catalogue and it, and, and, it, and it was something like the Bon Tempe 700. Yeah, it plays demos and everything. It's like got a drum machine and you, and you get your little Bon Tempe. Um, and, and, it, and it'd arrive, and it'd be about that big, the size of a 30-centimetre ruler. And you'd be like, I'm a musician. Yeah? Okay? And you can have an organ like that, or you can, you can have one like this. Keyboard, organ, you know where I'm going. Okay? What I really want you to have, guys, I want you to have one of them Wehrlitzers. You know, I want you coming out the stage. Giant organ captivating everyone you know because is it where's Glasgow in it where they have the massive Stuart you're Scottish is it Glasgow where they have the massive organ and they play it in the museum and it's got all the pipes no he's just shrugged at me thanks for the encouragement brother um, you know but if the heart is an organ and it's going to dictate the tune you play yeah let's have a whale it's a not a Bon Tempe yeah so, how do we exercise our heart? All right? Because ultimately, that is going to increase its effectiveness and increase its strength and increase its flexibility. You know, an athlete who trains intensively at elite level actually changes the very structure of their heart. The size of their heart changes. I only know this because a student told me it on Friday. <laughs> Weightlifters who regularly practice have thicker walls of the heart. Runners who regularly run increase the size of something which enables more oxygen to go in. I'm a geographer, not a biologist. You know, the heart actually changes through exercise. Yeah, so we can, we can exercise our hearts. And I promise you already, right, you have a greater capacity. Your heart 
has a greater capacity than you believe it does. God can do so much more with it if you exercise it. But that's your choice. All right? You're capable of so much more than you give yourself credit for. I agree. He agrees with me. Amen. Okay? So Nehemiah shows us how to exercise our hearts. All right? So first thing Nehemiah shows us, uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 1 to 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King... Oh, here we go. Artaxerxes, that'll do. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. See, the king recognised the sadness of Nehemiah's heart. Your face tells a story, but your heart is the author of that story. People will see how you feel, but actually it's here that that comes from. You know, and if it's sad, that's fine, actually. Let's not be so immature. Sorry, don't mean to be rude. But let's not be so immature that we can be fooled into thinking that the the seat of our emotion should always, always just be this joyful place. That it should just be jolliness. Because that's not real, is it? Okay? What God prizes is a real, genuine heart. Jesus wept. Jesus was cross. Jesus smiled. Proverbs 27, 19 tells us, as water reflects a man's face, so a man's heart reflects the man. People will respond to and recognize a genuine heart. God recognizes a genuine heart. God will respond to it. People will respond to it. Because they feel it's honesty. They feel it's truth. And they're attracted to that truth. Honest emotion is a lightning conductor for God's will. Moses questioned, doubted. And that enabled conversation with God. Peter had an impulsive heart. John the Baptist had a humble heart. Stephen had a faithful heart. But they they all had honest, emotive hearts. And honest hearts change atmospheres. Yeah, Nehemiah had a sadness because he was broken-hearted for his nation. And the king recognised it and responded to it. And it changed that nation. You know? Now, I'm not saying be so open that you open yourself to hate. But I'm saying be genuine with God about who you are and how you feel and where you are at that moment. Because when you're honest with God in that way, That'll determine how you are as a person. And I promise people will respond to that because you'll meet them in their need because they'll recognise something similar. All right, we need to exercise a genuine heart. Nehemiah tells, shows us we should exercise a thoughtful heart. Nehemiah 2, 11 to 12. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone that my God had, uh, what my God had put in my heart to do, to do for Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah has gone to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. 
that was what was placed in his heart. And you see, he goes and gets there. And when he's there, he, he waits three days. He doesn't tell everybody, I'm here to do this. He waits three days. He goes out, he looks at, he looks at the walls. But actually, that's not where something's placed in his heart. Where what Nehemiah is called to do is placed in his heart is right back in chapter 1. And right back in chapter 1, if you follow the journey through, what Nehemiah does is God puts something in his heart and then he prays and then he fasts and then he discusses it and then he asks for the king, prepare me for it, equip me for it. And then he goes. Yeah, we need thoughtful hearts because you make choices in your heart. It's the center of will and inclination. You make choices there. And sometimes that's based on feeling. Yeah, and that's, that's, that can be fine. But sometimes, being honest, we can have that flip-flop feeling. And we can make decisions rashly and impulsively. And I know there can be the suddenly of God. That's, that's fine. But actually, the heart should be the place of wisdom which means we look for where knowledge, understanding, wisdom, meet the clarity of righteousness. When you just know something is right because it's in line with God's will and you feel it. All right, and that's what Nehemiah did. I, sorry, I think a thoughtful heart is an adventurous heart. Yeah, it feels the tug of God, but it also prepares for, ready, for, for the reality of the journey. If, I'm, if, if I feel God's calling me to do something... I'll start moving, but I'll also continue to give God the chance to tell me that I've got it wrong. I'll start walking, I'll go, but God, if I'm being a numpty, tell me. And he does. Frequently. You know, I'll keep listening wisely. God does do the suddenly, and that's really exciting, and that's wonderful when it happens. Okay? But actually, I've experienced more faithful outworking in my Christian walk than suddenly. You know, Psalm 19, 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the mediation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May the words of my mouth, the me, the, not mediation, meditation of my heart. Yeah, think on things. Have a wise heart. Have a thoughtful heart. Weigh things up. Is this in line with God? Pray, fast, discuss. Think, am I prepared for this? Am I being prepared for this? Have a thoughtful heart. We need to exercise a thoughtful heart. That's wisdom. Okay? And finally, Nehemiah has a heart inclined to unity. Nehemiah 7, verse 45. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. I won't read the genealogy. You've probably never read the genealogy. I bet you go, where does it start normal text again? Okay. Nehemiah went to build the walls, and the walls were fine, but without people in them, the community dies. Yeah? Nehemiah's attention is drawn to right we need to know who have we got what foundation have we got to build on 
because he needed to get the temple established. Who have we got who can operate the temple that we have the foundation from which this community is going to grow, and which this community is going to develop? So he put in place, don't we need to be like that? Don't we need a heart inclined to community that is not turned inwards to our own consumerism, but that is turned outwards to others? What can we do with what we have right now to become a place for others? That we can invite them into our unity, into our community. Yeah, We're meant to be a place for others. We need a heart inclined to others. 1 Peter uh, 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. The heart, we are meant to exercise our heart to be outward looking, to be attractive to others. So we need our hearts to be healthy. Yes, you need a healthy physical heart, but spiritually, the heart is the seat of your emotions. It is the seat of your thoughts, and it is the seat of your will. And if we want to love effectively, if we want to act wisely, if we want to make good kingdom decisions that, that affect others and attract and invite others, a heart that's outward looking, we need our hearts to be functioning well. We need to be thinking about what tune is this organ playing. Because it's a tune we're going to dance to and it's a tune others are going to hear and they're going to see us dance. 